Scripture this evening, I invite you to open to Philippians chapter 4. I'll read a set of passages from Philippians chapter 4. One of the themes in the book of Philippians is that our life as Christians should be patterned by joy. So I'll begin by reading verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4, and then we'll pick up in verse 10. We'll read to verse 14 and then 19 to 20. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And then picking up verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all Things through him who strengthens me. And then verse 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Rejoicing in the Lord at all times. When I was writing this message the first time, we had just had a Thanksgiving service and in our thanksgiving service each year we have testimonies and we had a set of people come up and give their testimony that week and one woman who had not been able to conceive they had ended up adopting all their children said the lord closed my womb and i'm so grateful for that because through that we've met all these people and been able to adopt children but she also spoke about the profound difficulty and pain of waiting and waiting on God and praying for children and not having them. Another gentleman stood up and said, I'm so grateful for cancer. I've had cancer for a long time and before this time uh, I was kind of distant from God, but the Lord has used this as a means to bring me close to him and to draw me uh, into a, a living and more profound, deeper relationship with Christ through Cancer, And I remember listening to those testimonies, maybe you can relate to this, and thinking, I, this is a level I don't understand in some way. How, how possibly could you give thanks for these profound difficulties? And so I want to investigate a little bit with you this theme of contentment. How do we say, I am content in all things, whether I have very much or I have very little, how is it possible that we can be content? Why, why speak about contentment in a new year? Well, um, the Bible, as, as I said at the outset, calls us to a rejoicing that happens all of the time in every season. What would it be like in your life if you could wake up every morning and say, I am spectacularly rejoicing and joyful in this day? What if that was a reality in your life? And how is it that the Holy Spirit enables you to do that. Well, there is a deep bond 
we'll see in our passage, there's a deep bond between contentment and rejoicing. There needs to be a baseline of contentment in your life where you're satisfied with what the Lord has done in your life and what he has given to you before you can then rejoice in every circumstance. If you're not contented with what you have, the overflow of joy, the overflow of thanksgiving won't flow up out of your life. You'll always sense This is not the life that I signed up for, God. This is not what I had wanted. We'll never learn the gratitude and rejoicing unless we have this baseline commitment of contentment in our life. We just sang from Psalm 4, You fill my heart with greater joy than others may have found as they rejoiced at harvest time when grain and wine abound. The psalmist can look around and say, everyone else seems to be having a spectacular life. It's harvest time for them. I might not have those things, and yet you have filled me with more joy. And I simply want to ask, how do we get there? How do we get to a place where we can actually rejoice and be content in every circumstance? I want to reintroduce you to two heroes of mine that have been very helpful for this grace of contentment. One is called Johnny Erickson Tata. I'll reference her in this sermon. If you're familiar with her story, she uh, dove into a pool that was more shallow than she expected. She was a very, very active person. She was being pursued by a young man, a Christian man that cared about her. Um, And in that one moment, diving into the water, her whole life changed. Uh, She describes in her autobiography how slowly she realized that there would be nothing ongoing you know, after that event that would be the same as what she had had before. She lost this young fiancé that was pursuing, or this young guy that was pursuing her. She lost her mobility, all the things that, that made her life interesting and uh, beneficial to her in, in some sense. Physically, she lost those things. And if you're familiar with her, you, you listen to her, you listen to her radio broadcast, you read her books, she's brimming with joy. She's, she's uh, singing oftentimes. People that have been with her have told me, Johnny is always singing. And I want to ask you tonight, how do we get that? How can we have things in our life physically stripped away and still have a supernatural joy? And the second person I'll introduce or reintroduce to you is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer opposed the Nazi... Uh, uh, press against um, the church, and he was arrested in 1943, and then a year and a half later transferred to a concentration camp where he would die. Uh, around Christmas time, I really like to read his Christmas sermons, and this Lutheran pastor, also disconnected from his family, uh, cut off from so many things in his life that would often, in our estimation, make life worth living, says about this time, I'm so grateful that I've been confined in this prison so I can write about the gospel and testify about who God is. How do these two people have a remarkable poise such that they can say, I'm so grateful in this very, very difficult circumstance? So I want to ask then tonight, what is contentment first? Second, why do we need it? And then third, how do we get it? What is contentment first? Second, why do we need it? And then third, how can we get it? From our passage, look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I, Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation 
I am to be content. He's speaking to the Philippians about the financial gift that they have provided to him in the past. And he's saying, through the means that God has used, he has taught me, I have learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. What is contentment? Well, I wish I could tell you tonight that contentment is a uh, grace that is kind of zapped into your life instantaneously. But Paul says it's not like that. That would be the comfortable way. But instead, he says, all of your life is a kind of school by which God is teaching you. You are learning contentment. Uh, One of my professors at, at Westminster Seminary, California, said it very well. Contentment is a skill. This is Dennis Johnson. Contentment is a skill honed through practice. It's not pre-installed on our hearts like software on a new computer, nor injected into us in a single dose. It takes practice. So if it's not zapped into you instantaneously, how does it come? Well, it grows slowly, uh, like planting a tiny acorn in the ground. And watching a a little oak tree grow up year after year. Contentment is something that we learn, the Apostle Paul tells us. God will put you through moments of great abundance. That's actually a time when you need to learn in the time when you have much to be content. He will also strip those things away from you at times. And he will teach you in those moments also to have a heart of contentment. It's a learned skill. It's not instantaneously driven into our hearts. Uh, Johnny says, Johnny Erickson Tata says in her autobiography, there were times where she hated what God had done to her. Uh, There's this kind of horrific moment in the, the biography where she's describing figuring out, she's in the hospital, she's describing figuring out that she was actually paraplegic, that she was, uh, that she was immobilized from the neck down and and the the horror of realizing this is going to be the rest of my life there is no cure for this just settles in on her and then the rest of her life is processing how will i now live a life of contentment and joy so we see first contentment is learned it's a lifelong learned skill of being able to feel sufficient whether we have very much or very Little, but I want us to consider second, why do you need contentment? Why does every Christian need contentment? Verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This is really, really important. If we don't have contentment, your, uh, the description of how you are doing will always be basically your circumstances. What is your day like? How, how is your day going today? And you're basically going to say, well, the, here's what I have to do today, and here's all the things that haven't worked out the way I wanted them to work, and here's all the things that God has deprived me of. Your uh, heart description each day will basically be your circumstances. But imagine if you could say, uh, again, I have cancer uh, I've, I've lost people that I loved, and yet I am rejoicing right now in the midst of these things. What if God could work that grace in your life? It's not wrong for us to talk about our lives and to know, talk, talk about our circumstances, but if our circumstances define our contentment, we will always be 
uh, frustrated with God, unable to rejoice and overflow with joy and gratitude. Think about these different threatening scenarios in your life. If your contentment and joy is based on your job, then this conversation can destroy your happiness, your contentment. Your boss sits you down and he says, it's time for your position at our company to be reviewed. We're going to go through your uh, efficiency and the quality of your work, and we may need to make some space at our company. What does your heart do with a conversation like that? See, if your joy and your contentment is based on your status at your job, your uh, your response will be up and down constantly. But Paul can say, it's not like that at all for a Christian. I have learned in any and every circumstance, I am to be content. This is why we need contentment. What if your joy and happiness is based on your marriage? You think of yourself as a happily married person, and your joy is based on the, the ease or the, the status that you have in your marriage. And your spouse sits you down and says, honey, there's a really significant problem in our marriage. We need to put a time on the calendar where we're going to face this, and this can't go on anymore. We really need to face this crisis in our relationship. See, if your contentment and your joy tonight is based on how you think of yourself in your marriage, that will destroy you. You're going to think, I can't possibly face a conversation like that. So why do we need contentment? We need a rooted, solid confidence that's gradually learned in our life so that our joy and our happiness is not tethered to our circumstances, which go up and down. Paul is telling us this this evening it's possible for a Christian to know in abundance and in need this secret of contentment. Well, third then tonight, how can you have it? I mean, is it even possible for us to have this remarkable, supernatural grace of contentment? We'll look at Philippians chapter 3. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Perhaps one of the most quoted texts in the Bible. I can do... All things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. Uh, My parents have a a plaque. I can kind of think in the house where it uh, says this verse on it. And you've probably uh, seen it quoted by uh, Olympians who uh, sense that they can jump a little bit farther or more uh, powerfully through Christ who strengthens them. That's not the intention of the meaning of this verse, but rather to sense how massive a goal it is for us to be a contented people and then to say the only way that could possibly happen in the life of a Christian is if you have Jesus working in you through the one who strengthens you. Trees do not have in themselves an internal power to grow. They need to be planted near a flowing stream. And Paul is telling us in this text, the only way he learned contentment, the only way he was enabled to do that was through the one who strengthened him. Like being connected, a tree to a source of water, Paul grew in his contentment through this rootedness in Jesus. Listen to Jeremiah 17, 
verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord like a tree planted by water, does not fear, does not fear when heat comes. His leaves remain green. If you are planted in Christ, your circumstances can go up and down, and you can say, I am connected to someone who drastically reorients my experience. See, in Christ, Paul realized that he was in a drastically different relationship with God as his father. You remember he boasted previously, uh, before knowing Christ in this transformative way, he boasted in the fact that he was from the right family, that he uh, was um, a Jew of Jews, that he was better than other people in some sense. But he says in Philippians chapter 3, That he had to count all that stuff as garbage. It's all rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And because of that, Father had not dealt with Paul according to what he deserved. His whole standing, his whole position toward God in that moment had changed And that promise is for you. As you put your trust, as you root yourself in Jesus, your status goes from being uh, disapproved by, judged, and pushed out of God's presence to being accepted and loved and being told, you are my child. I love you. I receive you. In a sermon that Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached from a prison Cell, he wrote these words. All Christian living has its origin and existence in what the Reformation called justification by faith alone. What happens here? An ultimate act of suffering which cannot be grasped. He's talking about the suffering of Christ. By any human being. The darkness which from within and without takes human life into the abyss of hopelessness is bound, conquered, and destroyed by the power of the word of God. He's speaking about the binding of Jesus on the cross. In the light of this deliverance, we see God and our neighbor for the first time. The bewildering labyrinth of the life we have lived so far is shattered. Bonhoeffer could write from a prison cell and say, I'm so grateful to get to testify to who Christ is because in him I am a new creation. The old has passed, the new has Come, all things can be done through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment comes through a rooted experience of the love of God. That's why in the book of Ephesians, Paul can say that he's praying for the Ephesians that they would know the height and the breadth and the depth of the love that is for them in Christ. This love has to be something perceived. We have to pray for the experience of God's redefining love. Contentment is rooted in a deep experience of God's defining love. Because of what Christ has done, you will not be judged. You will not be pushed out of God's presence. You will not be struck for your sins, even your discontent. Christ was confined. Christ was nailed. Christ was excluded from the Father's presence so that you can be accepted and received. So my other 
hero that I mentioned in the introduction, Johnny Erickson Tata, put it this way. As she was struggling to understand, why has God done this to me? Why do I have to walk through this life now in confined to a wheelchair? How could I possibly learn contentment in these circumstances? She writes this. I discovered that the Lord Jesus could empathize with my situation. On the cross for those agonizing, horrible hours waiting for death, he was immobilized, helpless, paralyzed. Jesus did know what it was like not to be able to move, not to be able to scratch your nose or shift your wipe or wipe your eyes. He was paralyzed on the cross for me. See, there was a transforming understanding, a personal knowledge that she understood of God's love for her in Christ that redefined her circumstances. She could look around at the exact same moment, wake up the same day in exactly the same kinds of circumstances and say, I'm living a completely different kind of life because I understand who Christ is for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm passionate about this stuff because I was raised in a Christian home and sometimes I think I just saw people doing things around me and didn't understand. I need to get this myself. I need to go deeper into the gospel. I need to be transformed by the things that I say I believe. So we're going to sing after the sermon. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. If you root your joy and your contentment on the things that will pass around you, you will slowly lose everything and life will seem so not worth living. But if you ground your joy and your happiness and your contentment in who Christ is and what he's done for you, those things can never be taken away from you. And so the hymn finishes, Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom, point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. If Christ is at your right side, if he is the strength and the the power that is working in you by the Holy Spirit, you can look around at a terrible, horrible, very bad day and say, this is a day blessed by the Savior who's loved me and demonstrated that love, that commitment, by accomplishing my salvation on a cross. And so, you don't stand in yourself. You don't stand as we come to the Lord's Supper this evening defined by your circumstances. You stand defined by what Christ has done and who he is. You are rooted, you're connected to the powerful, transforming reality of God's resurrection life through Christ. Even your inability to be joyful, again, does not push you out of God's saving presence. But as you say, I am weak in myself, I have nothing in myself, Lord, be the strength for me tonight. God pours this life into you as the empty hand of faith reaches out. God says, I will be your strength to make you the contented, joyful person. I've given you my son, and if I have given you him, 
What else do you need in this life? If you have Christ, you have ultimately everything that you need. May we cast ourselves on Christ this evening and say, I can truly do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, this is a great uh, mystery of our faith. Uh, that the hidden things, the things that we don't see all the way through our life, uh, Christ at the right hand of the Father, are our whole life. Lord, you call us to be hidden with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, to lift our hearts and our minds, to uh, be identified with him, to be united to this life-giving person who is real and reigning at your right hand. And yet, Lord, as we face another week, Lord, uh, 3 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon will seem insurmountable at times. How do we keep walking? How do we keep rejoicing and being contented? Father, would you demonstrate to us, even this week, the power of the Holy Spirit through the one who strengthens us? And Lord, as we come to your table, even if this word in some senses seems weak, Lord, we pray that the visible word would be powerful to seal to us these realities. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.